You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning, FMCC family. I'm Kara, and this is Ember. (laughs) And we get to read you the scripture for this morning. It comes from John chapter 4, verses 7 to 25. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in, Jerus- that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Your worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Good morning. Uh, I've been reading through the book Isaiah in the morning and then studying the early church, looking to what the early church fathers uh, thought of scripture, what they thought of the Old Testament, what they thought of the New Testament. And what I mean by early church fathers, it's those who actually knew John or Paul or Peter or Timothy or Barnabas, right? They, they knew those who were inspired to write scripture and they knew those early ones that were being discipled. So I'm reading and, and studying uh, men that were uh, 100 A.D. to 200 A.D. And it's really interesting because of our series, right? We're talking about what is our story. They perceive Scripture one way, one way, almost across the board. The Almighty I Am's story to the people he created. That's how they viewed it. That's how they viewed the Old Testament. That's how they view the New Testament. That this is God's story to us. And so what we're going to look at today is, is this uh, 
this story of this Samaritan woman that encounters Christ, uh, and I've titled it Shame to Excitement, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you exactly the ending of her story. Her story is the excitement, right? She she gets confronted in, in her sin, and she sees Jesus at the end, and she has one thing to do. Run until the excitement of who she met and what it meant to her. So I'm not going to go into that part because as I studied this, the thing that really struck me is uh, how Jesus created her story. Because I don't create my own story. I didn't create my salvation story. I was a sinner. If you care less about God, right? Um, It was the Holy Spirit working through somebody else that told me the story of Jesus Christ. It was a Holy Spirit working through somebody else that showed me Jesus. What we're going to see today with the Samaritan woman, it is Jesus showing the Samaritan woman himself. And so I've titled this thing from shame to excitement. And what I'm really going to concentrate on is the shame part that comes to her, her excitement But I'm going to show it, it, when we really unpack this, we see an amazing way to evangelize. If we would just take the way Christ created this new creation in this woman and and incorporate that into our daily lives, the church would have beautiful strength. A little bit of things before we we start. We need to really kind of understand this whole story of the Samaritan woman and the Samaritans. The word Samaritan is a Hebrew word for guardian or watcher. And the Samaritans only had their version of the first five books. That's all they worshiped. That's all they studied. They didn't study um, the Psalms. They didn't study the Proverbs. They didn't study the other prophets. First five books in their interpretation. And their very name is a guarded very, very closely. And so there was friction between the Samaritans and Judaism. The Samaritans, because again of their name, thought that we have the right, we've got it right, and we're going to protect everybody. They also believed that, um, um, excuse me, they also believed that where you worship God is on Mount Gershwin where Joshua crossed the Canaan and came into the promised line and that you Jews have it wrong in Jerusalem. Mainly because, again, all they looked at was the first five books. Didn't look at anything else. And what's going to be amazing today as Jesus creates his story in this lady, he actually gives her knowledge of all the books that she denied. And so what it showed was until you had the fullness of God, until somebody sits there and walks you through the fullness of who our creator is, you have a hard time seeing who God is, who Christ is, and why I need him. The other thing that's very interesting in this story, when you look at the context of where John puts it in his gospel, it's sandwiched between three chapters that Jesus is focused on being the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises and institutions that Jesus is not partial to standing ethnicity or need and that all the stories from chapter 3 to chapter 6 all the stories basically have the same elements 
Jesus pursues. Jesus offers eternal life to the main characters, and they get it wrong. The main character, when confronted with their sin, deflects, changes the subject. We'll talk about that when we get in the context. And Jesus allows the deflection, which is really amazing. We'll talk about that a lot. And leads them to God the Father through himself. And all three occasions, and I'll, I'll talk a little about that. I'm going to talk about Nicodemus a little bit, chapter 3. The Samaritan woman, chapter 4. In the multitude that ate the bread and then didn't, get un- didn't fully understand what Jesus said, that I am the bread of life. And that's where this, this story is sandwiched. If you want to read about the Samaritans a little bit, you can uh, look at the whole uh, kind of story of them. It's in 2 Kings chapter 16 through 18. Uh, it's a little bit more about them. Uh, they came about when the Assyrians came in, took most of Israel away. The Assyrians came in, intermarried with those who were left, and, they, and, the, and that's where, the, that's where that, that different belief came in. They intermarried. Uh, when the Jews came back, they saw these peoples unclean and defiled, and they didn't believe the same things. And so there's always t- tension between a Samaritan and a Jewish person, always. You, you can read that in the Good Samaritan story. So basically, they despised each other. They did not like each other. And one of the main points of this whole context is Jesus walks into hostility and shows grace. Boy, if we'd learned that lesson. Jesus walks into hostility and shows nothing but grace. So let's begin to walk through this. I'm going to do three points today. Jesus creates the story. The first thing that that Jesus does is he gives her knowledge and truth that she did not know, and and we'll look at what she did with it. The second thing he does, he confronts her in her sin, and it's a big sin. The third point is, what does he do when when, when she deflects or when she changes the subject? He doesn't do a lot of times what we would do. He almost does something totally different we don't even think about. So, let's start in verse 7. So, the first thing this woman sees in verse 7 is she's astonished that this man would even talk to him. Look at verse 9. Jesus comes up and says, give me a drink. And the woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And here's what's probably going on in this woman's mind. She's sitting out at this well all by herself about noon which is totally uncommon for anybody to go get water. And the reason we're going to find out she does that, she's ashamed of herself. She's had five husbands. The one she's with now is not her husband. She comes there because nobody in their right mind would walk the distance she had to do to get get to Jacob's well to draw water and walk back to town at noon. They would have gone early in the morning. She didn't go early in the morning because to her, there was a huge amount of humility or a huge, huge amount of humiliation because everybody else would be talking about her. So she's out there thinking nobody's going to be there. And all of a sudden, there's this man sitting at the well, and the first thing he asks of a Samaritan woman is, give me a drink. And this Samaritan woman's going, 
who do you think you are talking to me that way? Because you know what? I'm looked at and despised in my own community. If somebody in town is looking up at this well and they're seeing me of who I am talking to a Jewish man, I'm just going to get more despised. So why are you doing this to me? Why would you, a Jew, talk to me? And do you understand the trouble you may cause me? We should be able to empathize with that, right? So there's the context of the meeting, right? Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? So Jesus does this amazing thing. She complains, and her tone of voice is really very critical of who Jesus is. She complains. Jesus does, in his answer, he does one thing. He gives her knowledge, right? He knows who she is. And he quotes about a gift from God that's living water. He quotes from Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. Three books she has no understanding of what they are because she's never, ever heard them. What does Jesus do? He gives her more knowledge of God the Father. He, she, he gives her more knowledge of who he is. Doesn't care about her ignorance. Doesn't even take it into consideration. And his tone of voice is one of grace and kindness and understanding. She turns around and perceives him as a con man and confronts him. Her, 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 uh, her comment of, are you greater than our father Jacob, is in very mocking and very skeptical tone of voice in the original language. Jacob to them is huge. Right? That's why she's saying, you're greater than Jacob who gave us this well. This is the Jacob. Okay? Still doesn't know who she's talking to. Right? So Jesus hears her mocking, sarcastic. How does he answer her? He simply expands and answers and, and, and offers her eternal life. Doesn't get mad doesn't say, do you know, doesn't say, you really ought to watch how you're talking to me because you really don't understand who I am. He just simply comes back. Her reply is, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us his well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus, being God, could have got really judgmental, right? He is God the son. What's his answer? Jesus answered her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's basically paraphrasing Isaiah. He's, he's paraphrasing this picture of living waters coming out of the temple of Jerusalem that are a picture of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you believe in, in me, you, filled with the Holy Spirit, will be living water to all who need you. That's us. That's why the way that Jesus is creating her story is a way that we should create the gospel story. He says, a woman said to him, sir, give me this water 
right? All of us would think, wow, she's getting it, right? Look at the rest of her answer. So give me this water. It sounds great. I want this eternal life so that I will not be thirsty and I don't have to come here anymore to draw water. She turns it inward. It has nothing to do with her sin. It has nothing to do with anybody else. It's all about her. Give me this water so I don't have to come here anymore. So I don't have to sneak out of town at noon and watch people peek through their windows and they, they go, there goes that loose woman again. She's got no friends. She shouldn't have any friends. Look how ugly she is. And she wouldn't have to walk maybe a mile or two miles with heavy water and sweat and be dusty. She's looking at it only for her needs, nothing more. This is where it's really interesting because she's really no different than us. When confronted with the truth of eternal life for the first time, she gets it wrong. But she's not alone. Just the other chapter before, Nicodemus, who is a teacher of Israel, got it wrong. Chapter 3 of John, Jesus answers Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? So she sees this water that will take all of her embarrassment away because she never has to leave the house. She never has to thirst again. Nicodemus said the same thing. Jesus confronted him with this truth that it has to be born again. And Nicodemus' answer is basically this. Jesus, you're nuts. There's not a womb big enough for me to get into. How can I be born again? He's a teacher of Israel. A little bit later on in, in the story of Nicodemus, Jesus says, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't get what I'm saying? You don't understand what I'm saying? He holds Nicodemus totally, totally liable for not understanding it. He doesn't do this with this woman. Why? She's got limited knowledge. All she's ever known, the only God she's ever known is a God in the first five books of the Bible within an interpretation of the Samaritans, not even, not even the Old Testament that we know it today. And God, the Father, shows her nothing but grace. He doesn't condemn her. He lays it out there. She deflects, give it to me. Give me something to drink. We're going to see this a little bit later on if you read in chapter 6 after Jesus feeds the multitudes uh, and they keep coming back to him. In chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. So the, the people saw this food that they got from Jesus. And, um, and Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And they want more bread, not for eternal life. They want more bread because they don't have to spend money on food anymore. Realize, unlike us, where we spend about 11 cents out of every dollar on food, at that day, they spend 85 cents out of every dollar on food. They worked to eat. 
And so Jesus is making this promise. They see him make this multitude of food, and they want it over and over and over again, not for eternal life, simply to have more spending money. They missed the point again. That's what we do in our depravity. That's what we do in our sin. He offers eternal life to Nicodemus. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He offers eternal life to the multitude. They didn't get it. He offers eternal life to the Samaritan woman. She doesn't get it. And here's where evangelizing really needs to look. What does Jesus do every time she does this? He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get frustrated. He keeps coming back on her terms. So he offers eternal life. She deflects. Then Jesus gets real. Then he really begins to tell her why he came. Why she found him at the well at noon by herself. Verses 16 to 18. He confronts her in her sin. Why does she come here all by herself? Verse 16 says, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband. He actually agrees with her. For you have you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. He validates her, right? The woman said to him, sir, I perceive, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she deflects or she changes the subject. Look what she says. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. A few things that we should get here. When confronted with our sin, I would bet 100% of us deflected or changed the subject. I bet you when I'm confl- when I, the first time you're, you're confronted with a sin now, the urge sometimes is to deflect. But certainly in our unsaved state, if you go back and think out of it, when, when God was using somebody to tell you the beautiful story of his son and he was drawing you to him and you were confronted in your sin, the first thing you did was ignore him. Found, found some reason, I don't, I don't want to listen to your Bible beating. I'm not that bad. I've never really done anything that bad. Right, we found reasons. That's what this, that's what this lady did. She deflected. That's what we do in our unsaved state. I think the amazing thing is what Jesus didn't do. What didn't Jesus do? She is confronted with her sin and the reason her whole life is the way her life is, why she's got to sneak out of town at noon to get water, why she has no friends, why she's constantly ashamed is a sin that she's in. And what does Jesus do? When she deflects, Jesus does something amazing. And something that we ought to learn from. He doesn't turn it back around her. He doesn't say, whoa, 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 wait. Don't change the subject on me. I want to come back to your sin. This sin is bad. He doesn't come back and rip off all the scripture that the Holy Spirit inspired, saying you should have done this, you should have done this, you should have done this. What are you doing being married five times? This guy you're not, you're not even married to now. It's blood, blood alone is bad enough you're married five times. But now you're with a guy you're not even married to. What's going on with you? It's not what Jesus does. He lets a deflection stand. He lets it, he's confronted in her sin. You want to change the subject? Let's go. Change the subject. 
Her subject is, where's the right place to worship? We say worship here. You say worship there. What's the right place? What does Jesus do? Our father said that we're supposed to worship in Mount Gerson. You guys say the proper place to worship is Jerusalem. What does Jesus do? Both of you are wrong. The father, he takes her to God the father. God the father is looking for somebody to worship you in spirit and in truth. That's what this bothers. He doesn't, he, the father's not worried about you worshiping. If you're worshiping in Mark Gerson, uh, Mark Gerson and you're not doing it in spirit truth, father doesn't, doesn't like that. If the Jerusalem people are doing the temple and it's not in spirit truth, they're doing it wrong. What's he say? Well, God the father wants is people that will worship him in spirit with who I, my very nature of who I am and truthfully. So he doesn't circle back around to her sin. He shows her God the Father. What's her reply? She kind of deflects again. I perceive you're a prophet. Now, the prophet word there is not like a prophet like Isaiah. Remember, she has no idea who Isaiah or Zechariah is. Part of the Bible, part of the Old Testament doesn't exist to her. She sees him as a prophet, as somebody that has wisdom. Somebody that has insights. I perceive you as a prophet. The woman said, uh, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. Jesus said to her, I, I who speak to you am he. Leads her to the Father tells her what the father wants and then he says then she comes up and this says that you know we heard the messiah is coming the christ is coming what do you know about him and what does he say the one who stands in front of you i am he he basically now everything's running down on her right she's overflowed with the amount of knowledge she's gained i know my sin and i'm standing in front of somebody different and holy he knows everything I've done. He knows my very being of who I am. And he hasn't condemned me. He hasn't kept picking up on my sin and asked me more and more about my sin. He simply said, you kind of understood this Messiah a little bit. I am he. His life alone, his death alone, his resurrection alone, his ascension alone, his sending God the Holy Spirit alone, creates in a Samaritan, a Jew, a Gentile, an educated, a non-educated, a rich man, a poor man, creates him then the ability to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He and he alone creates our story. And it's all about him. And it's all about him glorifying the Father in his work. And all this does to this lady is her shame is gone and it's replaced with excitement. She runs into town. I'm going to let you guys read that. And starts telling everybody about this man that knows him. No longer shameful. 
She's not, all those ladies that didn't like her <clears throat> or said things to her that she would not go to the well, what is she doing now? She's telling them about Jesus. She's not the least bit worried about all those people that talked about her. Why? That shame's gone. It's replaced with, with the knowledge of God. It's replaced with the peace that Jesus Christ gave her. When he confronted with her sin, he didn't have to go any deeper. He knew exactly where it hit with her. At that time, he just had to say, here I am. Here I am. I look at this from a pastoral point of view when I'm sitting there talking with people about sin. Because really a lot, the church will confront sin, and when the person deflects, what do we do? We go, oh, don't deflect, let's come back to the sin. Huge pastoral uh, teaching from us from Jesus. Huge teaching on how to be a good elder. Huge teaching on how to be a good community group leader. Huge teaching on how to be an evangelist. Jesus showed us that when I die and I go to heaven and I send the counselor, the Holy Spirit to you, here's how you present and create stories. We create stories through the power of the Holy Spirit. We create stories by honestly presenting the gospel to people. In summary, in our story, face all the hostility that God's going to put you in with grace, just as Jesus did, just as this woman did. Think about the hostility she could have faced when she ran with excitement saying, I've met this man, he knows who I'm at, and she didn't care who she met. She met the people that were hostile to her, and what did she do? I just want to tell you about this guy. I don't care what you think about me. There's this guy you need to meet. Shame, my shame, your shame, whoever God brings you in, shame when presented with the gospel correctly will re be replaced with the excitement of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you tell your story, confronting others in their sin directly, but with kindness grace and love leading them to Jesus alone rejoice and glorify God the Father when he removes shame and creates excitement in him alone 2 Corinthians chapter 4 therefore since we have this ministry as we receive mercy do not lose heart but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame not walking in craftiness adultering the word of God but by the, manifest, excuse me, by the manifestation of truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Get this. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. What Paul tells us, don't change the gospel. Because if you present it and you don't see any effect, so what? It's only veiled to those who are perishing. It's not your job to unveil your job to present the gospel in grace even if our gospel is veiled is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who's the image of God we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ is Lord 
and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Last verse that I want to talk about. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you want to see the glory of God the Father? Look at the face of Jesus Christ. Grace and hostility, kindness, gentleness, when you're presenting. Are you willing to sit with someone that's lost and pour your life into them as long as it takes for the Holy Spirit to save them? In that whole time, being nothing but grace and kindness to them? That's the advice Paul gives Timothy. Don't be hostile. In kindness, teach be patient with evil, enduring it so that God may lead them to repentance and the knowledge of Christ. I want to end with one of the verses we want to say all the time of who we are. First Peter, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Search my heart. Uncover um, when in hostile situations I don't show your grace and change that. And uncover me when confronted um, with people that um, when I'm helping them see their sin they want to change and I want to keep trying to show them them sin instead of just showing them you. Change that in me. Lord, we thank you for this story. We thank for your example and how you create our salvation story. We are so equipped to do that. When you saved us, you gave us your Holy Spirit and you equipped equipped us with love and joy and patience and kindness. Let us be that to a lost world. Let us be that to the Samaritans that you put in our lives. Let us be that to the education of the Nicodemuses you put in our life. Let us be that to the multitudes that are just looking for um, the handout, but not you that you put in our lives. And let us rest in the sufficiency and the supremacy of your son alone. We thank you in his name. Amen.